Hi, I'm Yuval Brisker, and this is a jolt of Uvelocity. I, I want to talk today about why I'm in Seattle, and um, you know, and and and, uh, and, an and, a, and an experience I had last night, which I think I want to share with a lot of people. Yeah, of course. Let's talk about it. So last night I went. I drove about three hours west of Seattle to uh, to this place called the Gorge, the Gorge Amphitheater. Heard and, a lot about uh, it. Never been. It's probably the most beautiful concert venue place I've ever been to in my life. It sits right high above the Columbia River, the Columbia River Gorge. I'm facing, actually, funny enough, interestingly enough, and smartly enough, you have to cross the river, and then and then the gorge sits on the west, on the east side of the river, looking west, the the amphitheater, so that you see the sunset mm -hmm. over the river, high above the river. I can't even begin to tell you how how beautiful that place is. It's just. It, it's beyond description, really, actually. Wow. And I have photos, and we can put them on the website. Um, yeah, of because, course. Because, but, but the reason I went there, drove three hours there and back, um, was because I went to see my most revered and lifelong, life, lifelong um, idol, uh, the the greatest in my mind, the greatest uh, singer songwriter in the history of popular music, uh, Joni Mitchell. Wow. And Joni Mitchell, who's you know, accompanied me for a very long stretch of life, from the time that I was about sixteen to you know today, is the most incredible artist, human being, you know, I've ever had the pleasure of actually meeting, which I met her um, in, uh, in the late 90s. And, uh, and then seeing her yesterday at age almost 80. Wow. Come take the stage with Brandy Carlisle. Brandy Carlisle was kind of the host. But Joni Mitchell was headlining uh, an evening in front of 30,000 devotees from all around the world, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. After seven years ago, at the age of 72, she suffered a massive stroke, which nearly killed her, which left her paralyzed, unable to walk, unable to talk, unable to sing, to sing, of course, or play the guitar, which was her you know, her instrument, though she played the piano. Yesterday, seven years later, she was headlining a three-hour set from 9 p.m. to 12 midnight. Unbelievable. Playing guitar, singing her songs in front of 30,000 people who came from all around the world. I am not kidding you. There were people surrounding us from Japan, from Australia, from Amsterdam, from Israel, of course, 
My sister came from Israel. Uh, and we met a lot of other people from Israel, from every place in the country. People around us were from New Jersey, Connecticut, Florida. I've never seen anything from every age. Was this the first there. time? Was this the first time she had come back on stage after her stroke? Uh, she came back last. She she there was so she and Brandy Carlisle become very close. Brandy Carlisle showed up, you know, to try and to start, you know helping her to uh, recover and uh, and they became close friends and obviously super tight and uh, and and the brandy Carlisle's don't you know you know almost 40 years younger than her and you know different whole whole different generation and she last summer showed up at the Newport Jazz Festival completely by surprise nobody you know seen her in public actually Whoa. since you know, basically almost, she was already getting accolades and stuff and awards, but nobody had, she hadn't basically spoken in public for, you know, since the, you know, 10 years, almost 10 years ago. She hadn't been on stage headlining a show for 23 years, almost a quarter of a century. And yesterday she gave a three hour set, three hours. Playing guitar, singing with the with Annie Lennox and Sarah McLaughlin and Marcus Mumford and Car Brandy Carlisle and thirty thousand people. I'm telling you, it's it was. Uh, if you think there's no hope in life, <laughs> you know, then this thing is is a is a true you know revelatory, inspirational transformational experience like I've never had in my life. I'm telling you, there were people there from the age of 16 to the age of 90. I'm not making this up. Every gender, every race, every, you know, I mean, from all around the world, like a, like a, a, like a religious gathering. Wow. And it was, and so. That's and pretty you know, special. I mean, it was incredible. I can't even begin, you know, we drove there, we drove back, got back at four in the morning. The, 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 the highway from back there, out there in three hours, Western Washington to, to, to Seattle on the way back at 2.30 and through to three in the morning was packed, packed. With happy people though. With happy people. <laughs> with, with, uh, with just not just even happy people, people who had just witnessed, witnessed basically a miracle. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. That's such a cool story. So, How long have you been looking forward to 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 that show? Did, all what, my was life. it a yeah. <laughs> Good all <answer>. my life? <laughs> um, I had seen Joni Mitchell in 1998 when you were just a wee pup. I was young. I was eight years old. Yeah, seven. So years I old. saw her. Maybe it was 97 or 98. Um, in a, in a, in, in the original Woodstock site, she, who wrote the song Woodstock, she wrote the, the seminal song, though she had not actually been to Woodstock because she had another gig, <laughs> but she wrote the anthem for that, that event, even though she had not been there, which was also crazy. And... I had seen her because I had a, I have a friend who has 
was going out with her drummer at the time. And so he, a very close friend, and she and I were both Joni freaks. And that's what we're all known for. <laughs> and and uh, and she and I went to see Joni at this place, and it was called A Day in the in the Country or The Day in the Sunshine or something like that, some on the original uh, Woodstock site. But we were invited by Joni and her band because my friend was going out with the drummer. And so we ended up being in the whole green room, having lunch with her afterwards, with her and her husband at the time. And I mean, it was like surreal, you know. I was sitting at the table with her. I mean, it was just you know beyond description, right? But huge but, moment for a, for a big fan, right there. No matter who it is, right? But you know, but this, but yesterday was even better because, I mean, you're talking about somebody who was basically dead. Yeah. Wow. I highly How did recommend. she sound? She sounded incredible. Meaning, she was well known. So you know, she is first thing. She's like, you know, there's only one other person that's her peer in in singing, songwriting, and over the course of, you know, seventy years, you know, and that's Bob Dylan. It mm-hmm. was always her an arch, you know, her friend and arch nemesis, arch rival. And she was kind of, uh, but but she was always really really pissed because she wrote, you know, her body of work is much in a way more diverse because she did world music before anybody did world music, and she did jazz. She brought jazz into her work before anybody brought jazz into jazz into the work. She really went hardcore on 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 going from acoustic to electric. I mean, yesterday she played an electric guitar. She was well. She's well known for you know tuning the guitar in a different, you know, special tuning, um, mm-hmm. that you know that basically was her own tuning. So it, it produced some very very interesting and different chords, and uh, and and so she was you know she was she's considered like a, 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 a not just a great poet songwriter, but also a great musician and a great you know, visionary. She took, she wrote about, you know, about environmental issues in the '60s. She wrote about, you know, the 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 degradation of dialogue and communications and political discourse in the country in the '80s already. I mean, she wrote she, her body of work is not just oh love songs, you know, but a really you know a broad sort of you know reflection on on living mm-hmm. and on, on on life and on politics and on the environment and on you know. On relationships and and on 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 every I mean true visionary in the most profound sense of the word, and but only her her only real rival you know in that kind of scope of work has been Bob Dylan, but because he's a man and she's a woman she never got her dues, mm-hmm. which she was always complaining about because she was always saying well you know people always call me the female Bob Dylan but they don't call Bob Dylan the female the male Joni Mitchell. And, you know, <laughs> which just tells you kind of where the state of things still is. Um, but, but of course, now, you know, it's kind of evolved significantly because first thing, when she started doing this, writing her own songs and singing her own songs, nobody was doing it. Like, no woman was doing this. None. Not Joan Baez, not, you know, nobody. Nobody was doing it because... It wasn't considered ladylike. She talks about that a lot. 
you know, in the 60s. She grew up in the, in the 40s and the 50s. And so she, she said, you know, when I started doing it, it was considered a big, you know, you know considered like a violation of, of, of kind of cultural etiquette to write, you know, about your love life or about your thoughts, your inner emotions, your inner self, your inner being, you know, to write about it as a woman, you know, in the, in the, in the 60s or the 70s was just taboo. And she was doing it, and since she inspired a whole generation, every singer, woman, singer, songwriter today, from Taylor Swift through, you know, obviously Brandi Carlisle, to any any woman who's singing and writing her own, writing her own words and songs and singing them with a guitar or a piano, is basically a descendant of Joni Mitchell's work, and they will all say it. They will all acknowledge it. Yeah, Annie Lennox. You know, from the Eurythmics, you know, fame. She was there last night and she said, you know, she was the person who basically made all these women and a lot of men, you know, go out and start doing this, you know, and definitely brought women up from, you know, being, you know, backup acts or girl bands, because mm -hmm. the Supremes were around, to being, you know, frontliners, you know, standing, you know, shoulder to shoulder with the men doing it you know like if you'll see you know movies or you know or 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 you know albums from you know like group shows in the seven in the late 60s and 70s from woodstock on gone you know the other only other woman was janice joplin and she wasn't singing her own songs and she flamed out really fast um so you know this is a seminal you know figure of historical proportions and so you know having her come back, you know, after, from basically from the dead. And that's after not that's showing very, up. Yeah. And now you can look at look at the New York Times. Uh, uh, there's a there's a phenomenal review of this concert from last night. Yeah, so I'm trying to get caught up in real time here doing some Googling and it's it has pretty, um, pretty extravagant reviews. It seems like a big moment in, in, in musical, musical history, history. For, for her yeah. followers. Yeah. I gotta not, be honest. I'm not the biggest follower, but you well, could be, change, be you could be changing my mind as we speak. No, you do you have a you yeah, have, of course. Let, 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 uh, that's why I'm talking about this because I'm sure a lot of people that we know don't even know what I'm talking about. And and I'm got saying, a, she, she had a great uh, dress and, and and get up. It looked like yeah. So what's interesting is she started her career. You asked me how she sang and. Yeah, and and, and uh, she started her career as a very very high pitched soprano. She had an incredible range, but she was well known for having like this, almost like glass shattering, you know, high voice, very very clear and, and and with a slight vibrato and, you know, incredibly you know. You know, identifiable. I mean, you'll listen to the, the music, um, and I can give people a, a, a sort of a. A, a little bit of a, yeah, a guide, I, you know, where I to think go. Wait, I, I think along with this episode needs to come an, an expert guide from yourself on how to, yeah, how to we'll get, how to get introduced to her music. Yeah. Because what's interesting is, so she was, she's a, she was a heavy smoker. So it's not surprising she got, you know, the aneurysm, um, heavy. I'm talking about this woman who had like this incredibly, you know, beautiful, like, you know, pristine, classical soprano voice. She was a heavy smoker. First thing, she was a survivor of polio. 
Oh, wow. So we're talking about a woman who's already survived. Somebody wrote in that New York Times article that you're probably reading that she learned to walk three times in her life, once as a child, once as a survivor of polio, and then now, again, as a survivor of the aneurysm, three times. And she went from being a soprano to, because of the smoke, going, her, her, her octaves kept oh, on going down, 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 because her foes got gravelier and gravelier and gravelier. Yeah. She couldn't hit those high notes anymore. And, and, uh, and now she's basically got a voice like mine. She sounds like, she, it's low, almost, you know, it's a baritone voice. She doesn't sing. She can't sing the high notes at all. I mean, she does. She did hit a few. She tried to hit a few yesterday, <laughs> but she sings like they wrote in the Times article that it's almost an androgynous voice. It's like a little bit female and a little bit male. Well, I mean, maybe uh, a little similar to Bob Dylan. Yeah, and she made she actually imitated Bob Dylan last <laughs> night. She said if Bob Dylan sang this last you know verse, he'd sound like this, and then she did a Bob Dylan imitation which was incredible and you know and and yet you know the work has gone from being always being very you know poetic and she always painted her albums because she's a painter as well um but the work went from being very poetic you know and kind of reflective about it was always reflection reflective work about her own personal life and then the state of the world around her and a lot of times it wasn't just about her, but about people she met or experiences she had or, you know, people that she loved or she didn't, you know, or she just observed. It was, it's an incredible body of work. And, um, but then it went from, you know, being, you know, one lady with a guitar singing in these clubs and folk clubs in, in Detroit and the Midwest and then on to New York to obviously becoming world famous and going from the guitar to the piano, from the piano to the jazz band, from the jazz band to the, to, to, from the piano to the rock band, like from the acoustic to the kind of light rock band. She had a kind of a jazz rock band with her in the early 70s to playing hardcore jazz, world music, mm. like bringing in, you know, people from all around the world to play with her where nobody was doing it, to playing hardcore jazz. She made an albus with, 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 with Mingus, who was one of the great jazz musicians of all time, called Mingus. And, and he was well known that he didn't work with white artists and he, you know, he chose her to take his music and to write words for his music because he was an instrumentalist. And then on to going back to kind of this, you know, reflective, you know, in the 80s and in the, in the early 90s, reflective, you know, uh, sort of, I would say, eclectic music, and 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 then she kind of started fading from the from the scene as she was growing older, and then she had the stroke. So I I saw her, like I said, in the in the late '90s, you know, twice. Once when she was headlining with Bob Dylan, a joint concert. She, what at, at the Gorge? No, no, or, this was okay. This was different. In, I saw her in Madison Square Garden. Oh, nice. Because uh, it says. It says that he played, she played with Bob Dylan in, in 1998. She headlined at the Gorge. Right. That yep. show, she was 98. I saw her, I saw that show, but I saw that it, uh, at, in, in Madison Square Garden. That's the one where she says, you know, she forgot the verse. And she, 
he she she talked about it yesterday how you know he crashed her he crashed her set so she felt like okay i'm gonna crash his set because her set was first and then he came on and then he crashed her set and then so she went and crashed his set when they even though they were playing back to back right in the same show it was a headliner show Joni mitchell bob dylan i mean it was like for people who yeah it says those. van morrison joined them too Right, with Van Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> it was insane. I saw that show. And and uh, and, and uh, she says there that she, you know, he told her, well, you can sing this song with me. And she said, I'll take first four. And he said, okay. And, and she said, and then you can sing whatever you want. And then, and then uh, she comes on stage and she forgot the words to verse four. <laughs> and so she made it up. No. Yeah. And Bob Dylan, of course, knew she was making it up. So he turned around and he looked at her and laughed. And she said, he was laughing not because of the words that I was making up, but because I fucked up. Because <laughs> he always liked to see me fuck up. Because he knew, he knows. Yeah, I love their little rivalry. And he knows that if there's one person that can rival his work, that's her. Um, anyway, what can I tell you? Crazy. And you know, I so so I'm looking at some of the images, and it I, I like this setup too. They had a bunch of it looks like couches, a bunch of people hanging around. I'm yeah. sure they all played a part. It looks like they all have everybody instruments sang. too. But yeah, everybody sang. Really cool kind of gathering. Like, there were like 30 people on stage. Yeah. Because what happened is when she got the when she had the uh, the stroke, you know, at the beginning she was completely nobody came to see her, and she didn't want to see anybody. But then. Musicians, just because she's such a you know an icon, and she's not, not an icon, she's just beyond a legend, right? She's, like I said, she's Bob Dylan's, you know, contemporary and equal. And people started showing up. And, in, you know, and she, when she, was, she couldn't talk, she couldn't do anything, she was just sitting in, the, in, the, in her living room, and people just came and started playing for her. And I'm not talking about people, I'm talking yeah. like... Paul McCartney, yeah. Elton John, of course, Brandy Carlisle, all the people who were there yesterday, Annie Lennox, you know, I mean, they'd started showing up in her living room. And so they started coming every week to play so that they would kind of revive her back, bring her back through music. And they did. So this is kind of what, what Brandy, and Brandy Carlisle's team kind of started becoming the MC and coming every month, every single month, and playing a jam session in her house, in her living room, to kind of bring her back to life. And they managed to do it. And she started getting back and started singing and started telling stories and started talking again and taught herself how to play again. Taught herself how to play again, you know how? Watching herself in videos, how she used to play. So she, she came back with the same, because everybody has their own playing style, right? And she had a incredibly distinct playing style because of her tuning because of the way she tuned the guitar mm -hmm. nobody sounded like her and the way she kind of you know plays the electric guitar it's kind of a rhythm electric guitar so she's sitting there you know last night 80 year old woman can't stand she can't stand she, she sat down the whole time oh yeah 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 i'm <laughs> sitting there hunched over an electric guitar you know, just going for it. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, it renews your faith in... in yeah. In what's, and what's... She, and she said, she said, you know, at the end, you know, she sang a Frank Sinatra song. That was the last song. It was called Young at Heart, you know. You know, I mean, it was beyond belief. I can't tell you. It was like... 
Yeah, wow. you get you get the picture. Yeah, of course. I mean, what's what what you were just talking about? How she, the music kind of came back to her over time. What's so what's so wild to me is how, you know, according to like her health, it seems like she should or you know was on her deathbed, but then as you kind of, you know, what I guess I'm getting at is there has to be some muscle memory built deep into your brain where it's, it comes back at a level that, I mean, the brain's a very powerful tool. And I think she, that's a great example of it, you know? Yeah, no, I think what, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, her playing style is the same as it was. And it doesn't sound like some, some it doesn't sound like anybody else. So to hear it, her strumming and picking at the guitar the way she used to do it before the stroke, where she couldn't even move her hands. I mean, it boggles the mind. And, and she said, you know, I looked at myself playing in gigs, you know, 20, 30 years ago, because she hadn't done a live gig in 23 years. And I kind of just started like basically imitating myself. And it just started coming back, like you said, with muscle memory. Yeah, so, yeah that's the crazy like part. Like ingrained, you know, sort of almost yeah. reptilian, you know, kind of feel that she had. in the, and, and, and it was very clear yesterday when she played that it was her, you know. And she told a lot of story. It was, it was so they did it. They set it up like a living room. Yeah, so that's was, what it looked like. A very room. cool environment. And, uh, and they all sat around on couches and they, nobody stood up and played. No one was, how can they stand up and play? <laughs> the only person who stood up and played, the only person was Annie Lennox and singing one of her great songs. She was the only one who stood up. Everybody else, and Annie Lennox is a great, great, you know, singer. She was the only one who stood up. But all the others, you know, just in reverence of the fact that she can't stand and sing, they just, everybody sat on this couch in this, you know, like big living room set up. And, you know, I mean, it was insane. Just no words. But cool a little moment in time. And you got your sister to come? Well, my sister and I have been joined <laughs> forever. And so I, yeah, I invited her to come with another friend of ours in Seattle, who's also a childhood friend of mine, who's also been a huge Joni fan. And what's amazing is to see, of course, it's all across. It's not a, you know, even though she's very kind of a woman's, supposedly a woman's, you know, uh, writer. It was equally men and women there, and 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 uh, you know, uh, you know, it was it was clear, you know, it had nothing to do with gender. It was uh, it was all about, you know, the the transformational, you know, inspirational power of of, of artistry and creativity at the highest level you know, imaginable. And so, I mean, I've got a guy was standing in front of us, you know, from a couple in front of us we got really friendly with who were from Melbourne, Australia. They just flew especially for it, you know. They they were like, well, we're not missing this. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how, how much it costs because yeah. it's priceless. It's like buying a, you know, Rembrandt. Wow. What a moment. Yeah. So yeah. I have pictures and I've got a little clips, a few clips. We can probably put them out. And then there's, of course, the uh, listening guide. I could probably, you know, 
take you, you know, through some key, you know, moments in her career. Of course, she wrote the greatest album of all time called Blue, or one of the greatest albums of all time. I don't know how it's ranked, but it's probably ranked really high. Uh, I, I would look at the Rolling Stone ranking for the greatest albums. I, it's pretty sitting, it's sitting up there high. Um, and uh, highly recommend it to get into a Joni thing because, you know, you can start from listening to music from the 60s that first thing was already in its day not conventional. And she's Canadian, so she grew up in, in, in Saskatoon, uh, Saskatchewan, but lived, has lived most of her life in, in California, not far from you, uh, in Bel Air. Uh, she lived in Malibu for a long, long time. But she's been in California for probably, I don't know, since the 60s, I suppose. Um, and then, you know, going on from, you know, those early days going through this, you know, the seventies and the eighties and just all of, all of it very, very beautiful and revel relevant and, and, and thought provoking. I mean, you know, this is not uh, easy work, you know, you'll listen to, you might listen to it for the first t second time and think to yourself, what was Yuval talking about? <laughs> but like, like, uh, I always say about you know, great art, it's not always very easy. Uh, it demands from you, um, and it's not pop, you know, in that respect. It'll demand your intellect and your ability to, you know, hang in there and focus and, and, and digest. And uh, so, but by, that, by, by some of it will be very, I mean, she wrote some very digestible tunes, you know, like like uh, Both Sides Now and, uh, and, 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 Big Yellow Taxi and other that you'll recognize, but uh, but but most of it is, of course, a lot more difficult and uh, interesting, and 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 truly, you know, groundbreaking. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're gonna hear it and say, oh wow, you know, I new get favorite it. artist. Yeah, well, I think you might be because yeah, I'll, I'll you're, give it. You're a super, you know, you're a super bright guy, and you know, but and, and, and I think people will. I, the, the 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 you know the lasting you know uh, influence and power of this music is clear because here we are, right? But uh, I mean the last time she was on stage was two thousand. There we go. So I think the the interesting thing is 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 to just stick with it and and go into it deep, go into the lyrics. The lyrics are not lyrics; they're poetry. A lot of it is inspired by the great poets. Um, well, it's very erudite work. It's not, you know, it, it, it's it's learned. You know, it's not just pop. Yeah. Well, I think anyone who listens to this is going to have a newfound respect for her and maybe go a little deeper than the first song that they listened to. Absolutely. I would highly recommend it. Cool. Well, I had a whole nother list of things to talk about, but I think that, that we should keep it at an Odie to Jody to Joni. An ode to Joni, for sure. Let's call it that. Cool. Well, I I think it'd be great if you maybe gave gave me some of the um, we can put in the show notes like some of your favorite moments. Maybe not just in the show, but some of your favorite songs and kind of help help our listeners um, get an introduction to Joni that that you feel would be proper as a as a huge fan. Yeah, I would consider myself of the top. <laughs> yeah. That's having cool. met her too you know and yep. i have an yep. autograph that she actually gave me and i had lunch with her i mean it was insane i had this moment this surreal moment 
where you know I went with my friend Debbie Dean, uh, who's also a singer-songwriter inspired by Joni, and she and I had lunch with with her and her husband and her band, um, because at that time I think Debbie was going out with the with with Brian Blade, who was the drummer, or she was at least very close friends. Let's say that I'm not sure whether she was actually going out with him, but you know, but you know, he invited us to this thing, and you know. I mean, it was, I was by then already, you know, like 20 years. I mean, I was like, you know, since I was a kid. And so, I mean, you know, I mean, I can't even describe to you how crazy that moment was. I mean, I was, they invited us into the tent post-show to sit around a 10-person, you know, round table to have lunch. And, I'm, and you know, Debbie was speechless. She couldn't say a word. She, she was like... <laughs> Couldn't. She was like she she was like sitting in the in the presence of you know royalty or a god you know, and you know and Joni asked me you know so what'd you think of the, of the set and I was like I can't believe she's asking me that <laughs> and she said what'd you think I mean you know I, I mean we ha actually had a conversation I mean it's beyond description it's a whole other dimension so yeah I I would consider myself high up there on the. <laughs> On the uh, on the experts, you know, Jody experts list. Cool. Well, let's give them a good introduction. I, I think you just sold them on listening to her, <laughs> and I think <laughs> I think now you Not now you hard. gotta give yeah <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Well, thanks for your time, Yuval. Thank you. Thanks, um, thanks Jay. Yeah. Lovely. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, put we'll it catch on up soon. Yep. Yeah.